in a few minutes before we go to the Lord's table, let's consider the sovereignty of God in saving us. Let's start by turning to Titus chapter 1, and there reading verses 1 through 3. The sovereign dominion of God over men involves His choice and methods and means of saving some of them for His glory and their eternal joy and pleasure. This epistle begins, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested His word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. That's a nice explanation of gospel preachers and the purpose of preaching. Before the world began, God promised eternal life. Now, if we weren't there, and Adam wasn't there, who did He promise it to? He promised it to Himself. He promised it in covenant to all those that He chose in Christ Jesus before the world began. And it was in due time, 4,000 years after creation, when God sent New Testament ministers to manifest that promised word through preaching, which was committed to Paul according to the commandment of God our Savior. Now that's the sovereignty of God. He promises eternal life to people before any people were made. There were no people, but people had already been saved according to the purpose of God by promising eternal life, and we are among them. Praise His glorious name. If you believe the faith of God's elect, which is the New Testament gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a brother of the Apostle Paul and an heir of that promise. That promise was shown obscurely in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15. The male seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. That promise was given obscurely to Abraham that in his seed would all nations of the earth be blessed, including the United States of America in 2012. Let's turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and see more of these things that were done before the world began. Many years ago I preached to you a sermon entitled, Before the World Began. And it was a listing of all the things that the Bible teaches God did toward us and for us before He ever created Adam and Eve. Before Genesis 1-1, God had already purposed to save a people from the human race. And he had purposed that he wouldn't save any of the fallen angels, but that he would elect angels that had not sinned and preserve them in their integrity. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This being is so sovereign and has such great dominion, this God, Jehovah of the Bible, can choose to save men before men exist and before men have sinned. He's already chosen to save some, knowing that He is going to arrange for their fall in the Garden of Eden. This is according to His purpose and grace. We have seen that it was according to His promise. 
Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. These are things done before the world began. That sovereign, you weren't even around. No one was around. No religious council had come together to say or approve anything. And God had already chosen those He would save and those that He would not save. Those He would not save are rejected from salvation. And it's called reprobation in the Bible. It's called reprobates. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's bless Him now in our hearts while I read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. You obtaining spiritual blessings is not your choice of Christ. It's God's choice of you in Christ. And it was done before the foundation of the world. We have never been in jeopardy. Salvation is not a doctrine of remedy. God saved for His own purpose and grace and His own glory, and He'd already purposed who He would save and who He wouldn't save before He even created the first one of them. Amen. We look at over at 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you to keep following with me the things that God did before the world began, showing His great sovereignty and the salvation of the elect only. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, verse 19 tells us, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by Him do believe in God. If you ever believe in God, it's because of the power and saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. The power and saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is not in your life because you believe. You believe because His power and saving grace is in your life. The 21st verse tells us. But we want the 20th verse that Jesus Himself was foreordained, that is predestinated to the cross before the foundation of the world. All this took place before the foundation of the world because the entire universe is playing out a drama conceived for the glory of God in the mind and counsel of God. And so it was all done before the world began. God chose how He would save, whom He would save, when He would save, and in due time, when God thought that the time was right, He sent the message abroad into the world so the Gentiles could hear the gospel. And for Gentiles to hear it is a great blessing. Look at Revelation chapter 17 and verse 8. There are many that grow up like I did and like my father did. It's the vast majority of conservative Christianity today that believes when they invite Jesus into their heart, there is a new name written down in glory. But Revelation 17, 8 tells us, The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. That verse tells us, in agreement with the verses we've already read, 
that names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world or from the foundation of the world because that's when we were chosen in Christ and the book of life is called the book of life of the Lamb slain. The Lamb slain was foreordained to be slain before the foundation of the world. We were chosen in Him, as I've already said, before the foundation of the world and that's when our names were written in the book of life. There is no new name written down in glory. They're all old, they're all old names because God's known you from before He knew Adam. In the flesh. Before the foundation of the world. This is God's sovereignty on our side. God's sovereignty is always on His side, but it's against the wicked. But His sovereignty is for us. And if God be for us, because of His sovereignty, who can be against us? Amen. 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 Against us in this world or the other world? Against us on earth or in heaven? No one can be against us if God be for us. And He is for us. Therefore all things work together for good to them that love God. You want to know if you're one of God's elect and all things are working together for you? Then love God. You're the called according to His purpose. If you love God, God purposed that you would love Him and God purposed that He would do everything else necessary for you. Matthew 25 tells us that the eternal kingdom that we're going to inherit forever was prepared from the foundation of the world. Acts 15 tells us that every work of God involved in our salvation, including the conversion of the Gentiles in Acts 15, 18, known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. James brought that revelation down upon the gathered apostles and elders in Jerusalem in Acts 15 after they had heard from Peter and Paul about the great conversions of the Gentiles, our ancestors, great blessings known unto God from the beginning of the world. James wants us to remember from Acts 15, 18. Now let me turn you to 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 that I began with. A few minutes ago when I opened this service. I know that you know it. The Apostle Peter said that as long as he was alive and in this tabernacle, he would stir up their pure minds by way of remembrance, even if they were established in the present truth. I know you're established in this truth, but I'll bet you don't love this verse as much as I do. I'll bet you don't think about every word in it like I do, and I want you to. And if you disagree with me right now, I love you for disagreeing with me. And if you can prove that you disagree with me correctly and that you know it and love it better than I do, I doubly love you. Because I love this verse. This but that opens up 2 Thessalonians 2.13 is bigger than any but you've ever read. But we are bound to give thanks all way to God for you. Bound. We're bound. Because there is nothing in us that moved God to save us. It was a pure, sovereign, domineering, dominating choice of dominion. It is God's choice. But we are bound. Are you bound with me today? Are you going to live like it the rest of today and this week that we're bound? We're bond slaves of God through Jesus Christ. And yet, we're not really bond slaves. And I have to explain that because we're really His children. But His children should be bound to praise Him. We are bound to give thanks. How often? Always. To whom? To God. To Paul? 
The Thessalonians, shouldn't they be giving thanks all the way to Paul for having preached them the gospel since they had to hear it from Paul and believe it in order to go to heaven? False, wrong, and no. Paul didn't have any effect on any of the Thessalonians ever making it to heaven. God had appointed them to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. God set His love upon some of the Thessalonians and saved them from worshiping idols. Because God, it's God, it's not Paul, it's not Apollos, it's not Peter, it's not Billy Graham, it's God, hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. From the very beginning of this world. In the beginning God. But before that beginning. He had already chosen some of the Thessalonians to salvation. And here's two phases of it. Sanctification of the Spirit. Whereby He sends the Holy Spirit to regenerate His elect. And give them a new nature. That is then able to hear, believe, and obey the truth. Which is then stated next. In the two things mentioned in verse 13. Belief of the truth. Whereunto He called you by our gospel. He used us as the preachers, but He is the one that sanctified you by the Holy Spirit because He loved you and because He chose you before the world began. And the difference here, the difference here because of that but is what's in verses 9 through 12 that I've already read to you that God sent others strong delusion. And if you say to me, it's because they received not the love of the truth I will tell you that if it wasn't for God's grace in your life, you would not have received the love of the truth. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The Lord looked down upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek after God, and He found none. You would have rebelled as fast and as thoroughly and as far as anyone else. And we've proven it sometimes in our lives, haven't we? That even in spite of grace, we reject truth. We rebel against truth and choose our own way. All glory to God. We're bound to give thanks to Him always. And I thank Him right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for saving us according to His own choice and choosing us to salvation before the world began and arranging all the aspects of it, including the preaching of the gospel and sending beautiful feet that would declare it to us that we would believe and hear the truth and obey it. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. Acts 13, 48. If you ever believe the gospel, it's because God changed you by sanctification of the Spirit. And He changed you by sanctification of the Spirit because He sent Jesus Christ to die for you. And He sent Jesus Christ to die for you because He chose you in Christ before the world began. This is a chain of things done before there was a Genesis 1-1. And it's glorious. And all glory and praise belongs to God. For it. Thank you, Heavenly Father. My brothers and sisters, He damned our race to three kinds of death for one small sin by another. Right. Hello? Did you hear that? He damned our race. That means He condemned our race to three kinds of death by the sin a little sin, one sin, one little sin of another person. This is my favorite way of talking about salvation. And if you'll pray for me, and if God in His sovereignty will bless me, 
we want to present to the world somehow, some way, the two Adams. Because they explain everything. That's right. They explain death and dying. They explain what happened to our race. And the second Adam is the cure for that first Adam's failure for those that are in the second Adam. For as an Adam, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. You know, when people hear the first half of the two Adams, that isn't fair. That's why I want to repeat it for the third time. Do you know that our whole race, men, women, and children, and aborted children, were all damned to condemnation and death, three different kinds of death, by the little sin, a single little sin, of another person. And if you don't like that, then you don't know the sovereignty of God and the revelation of the Bible. Amen. What are the three deaths? Physical death, spiritual death of hatred of God and His Word, and the second death or eternal death in the lake of fire. Physical, Adam died 930 years after he ate. Spiritual death, he died the instant he took that fruit from Eve and sunk his teeth into it. He immediately knew that he was naked. He tried to sow fig leaves to cover his guilt and shame, and he went to hide in the trees of the garden. Third, he'll be cast into the lake of fire unless he's one of God's elect in the great day of judgment. There's three deaths. You are going to experience all three deaths because another person sinned one little sin and you're held accountable for it. You say that's too severe. Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. Because you know what? Everyone like you, and whenever I say that, I mean everyone like me, wants to say that isn't fair. But God is better than fair. Because instead of letting you face Eve and the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, He sent someone far better than you. He sent Adam. Adam wasn't a sinner. Adam was intelligent. I'm sorry. Adam walked with God. I'm sorry again. He was far better than you. And Adam sinned. And God had made a covenant with Adam that whatever Adam did was going to be applied to his entire race. And so I thank God in his sovereign choice of parents and circumstances of life. The first Bible verse that I can remember knowing at about the age of four or five was Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. They didn't sin themselves. They sinned in Adam, for it was by one man. Wherefore, as by, so death passed upon all men. How's that for sovereignty? You know, there are people that say the first chapters of... These are Christians. These are Christians. The first few chapters of Genesis are just a fable because they still, they're Christian evolutionists. Of course, there's many people that just throw the whole Bible out as just being a bunch of fairy tales and fables for the psychotically needful, like you and me. 
We need the psychotic support and help of believing in a divine being. And this is just a bunch of jokes written by a bunch of nutcases to help other nutcases who need God to make it through life. I can't wait till they try that explanation on the Lord Jehovah. But do you know what? It doesn't matter. They all die, and we know why. Their children die, and we know why. We know exactly why. It is not because we're eating the wrong foods in America. It's not because you had too many dental x-rays as a child. And therefore you get cancer at 75. It's because of sin. I get so sick and tired of people thinking diet and alternative medicine and AMA medicine or any medicine adds to life expectancy. The life expectancy in America is the same as it was 200 years ago when there weren't any doctors. The same as it was 2,000 years ago when there weren't any doctors. But that's another subject for another time. God is sovereign and there's a place for doctors, I guess, because they can make a good living. Our real trust is in the God of heaven. And I didn't mean offense to anyone in here. We know where death comes from. It comes from the first Adam. Is that sovereign? That is incredibly sovereign. It doesn't matter whether they throw the whole Bible away. They're still held accountable for Adam eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Another person, a single small sin, sends them to a physical death, a spiritual death, and an eternal death of torment before God forever. That is hard to enunciate. That is hard to stand in front of you and declare. But it's not too hard. It is the truth of God's Word. Amen. They can say there wasn't an Adam. They can say we came from a Big Bang. They can say we came from monkeys. They can say whatever they want to about the origin of the human race and the cause of death. They do not understand, nor do they know. They are all foolish, and God is mocking them in their folly. We die because we are held accountable for the small single sin of Adam eating the fruit off the wrong tree in the Garden of Eden. But I praise God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, that He had a solution to our parents. In the shadows of those trees, in the very Garden of Eden. And he told the devil, that woman is going to have a male seed, and he shall bruise your head. And I love the God of heaven telling the devil right then and there, in this great drama that he's laid out, that he has prepared another Adam for you and for me. And it is the second Adam. And as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And how do we get in Christ? We were put there before the foundation of the world. How do we know that? Because it's in writing in the book of life. Did God promise that He was going to save us? He promised before the world began. Did Jesus Christ get committed to the cross before the world began? Yes, and yes, and yes. And you would be told in the fullness of time, in due time, God would send men to preach, even to us rebellious Gentiles that hated the truth, even the truth of nature. He sent it to us and He told us these things. And so there is a second Adam. And that second Adam is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to celebrate the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, though He asked for the cup to pass from Him, He drank the cup, and we will drink a cup of, we will drink what is called the cup of blessing, because He drank the cup of God's wrath. That is sovereignty. They don't even want to admit the first Adam, and we see its consequences and effect everywhere. Because they won't admit 
the first Adam. They don't even have a clue about the second Adam. And we can turn in our Bibles and we can find verses like this. And you might want to turn to Romans 5 with me. It is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I mean, if you're going to like Romans, you better like Romans 5. Because Romans 5 is jam-packed full from the first verse to the last verse. The last time we had the Lord's Supper, I couldn't stay away from verses 6 through 11. And I used them with you then. But here we are, back in Romans 5. I quoted to you Romans 5, 12. And in case you didn't understand it, in case you thought... Because in the last part of verse 12 it says, For that all have sinned. I have written a thorough grammatical explanation of this, explaining for you to understand that the as and the by that are earlier there in verse 12 have explained how all have sinned. They have sinned in a representative. This is the doctrine of representation. This is sometimes called the doctrine of original sin. This is sometimes called the doctrine of federal headship. Those are just theological terms for Romans 5, 12 through 19. But in case you thought each person is responsible for their sins themselves in verse 12, and it's them sinning that causes death, you are wrong by the grammar of verse 12. But in case you never learn grammar, the apostle by the Holy Spirit is going to help you out with verses 13 and 14. For until the law, that is, before there were commandments given to men to keep, because you can't sin when there aren't commandments to keep. And that didn't happen until 2,500 years after creation. For 2,500 years, there were no laws. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. So how could God charge sin and kill people for 2,500 years? Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. See, there are people dying who did not sin like Adam, who had a commandment given to them, and they broke it. They just died because they were being held accountable as sinners without sinning themselves who is the figure of him that was to come. Oh, thank you, Lord, that in the last part of verse 14, you stuck out some sweetness to us to tell us that there's something good coming. Because Adam was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Do you understand verses 12 through 14? Do you understand that that is so sovereign it can hardly be enunciated by a human? That every human being, our entire race... Our entire race from creation probably numbers around 70 billion. You say, how do you... I just picked it out of thin air. (laughs) Around 70 billion. 70 billion people die a physical death. Is physical death exciting? The Bible says it is the king of terrors. They have spiritual death of rebellion against God. And they die an eternal death. If my spirit had not been sanctified by God and I did not believe the Bible, I would say that it's entirely unfair. I would say that it's entirely cruel. I would say that it's incredibly severe. That is mind-boggling. That is overwhelming. That is unbelievable power that another being would do that. Well, my spirit is sanctified and I do believe the Bible. So on the authority of God's word, I tell you, that is the way it is. God said it, that settles it. And I believe it in that order. 
Whether I believe it or not doesn't settle anything. But it's settled, so I want to believe it. We should tremble before those verses. But the Lord didn't want you to tremble very long, so he didn't finish verse 14 before he said, Who is the figure of him that was to come? Because there's going to be things applied to you that you wouldn't be able to do in the way of righteousness, like all of them. So let's read. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, notice, this is the one versus the many. Don't you ever let somebody lie to you about Romans 5, 12 through 19. This is not men sinning themselves. This is men being held accountable as sinners because of one other man's sin named Adam. But not as the offense. There's going to be differences. Okay? What are the differences between the first Adam and the second Adam? For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. If God would hold accountable the sin of one little man like Adam against those he represented, how much more by the gift of grace is he going to hold the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his life of victory toward those many that he died for and lived for. Verse 16, And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. If God would hold a whole race condemned for one sin, how much more is he going to apply justification when Jesus paid for many sins? Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, we believe in the... What kind of God is he described in 1 Thessalonians 1.10? We believe in the... It's an L word. The living and true God. Right. Our God is the God of the, the living. Our God is the God of life. For if through one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. If God would hold death accountable upon a whole race, how much more will He hold, hold life in store for those that Jesus Christ died for? Therefore, here's what we can conclude. As by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Now are you getting it? It's the one versus the many. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. That is what we believe. That is the sovereignty of God in salvation. That is overwhelming. The natural man totally revolts and rejects against that. That that is totally unfair. But it's better than fair. God gave you a better chance than you could have ever had in yourself by giving you the chance in Adam. And you can always tell people that that say that isn't fair because God never gave me a chance. He gave you a better chance than you would ever have been able to have for yourself. And I, I love him for this. And all those people that say, I don't, I don't believe the first chapters of Genesis. They're just fables. Yes. And why are you going to die, sir? Why haven't they evolved death away yet, sir? In fact, why'd that child of yours get killed in a motorcycle at 17? I'll tell you why. 
because there is an Adam and he sinned and your 17 year old son was held accountable for it and he died and you're going to die just like him and you're going to be cast into an eternal lake of fire just like him as God pours out the full dimensions of the judgment and condemnation the first Adam brought on us probably get stoned but that's okay because then it's an evident token of his perdition. Do you know what the Bible says when somebody stones another person? That the one doing the stoning is giving the evidence that they're on their way to hell. Right. And the one getting stoned for having believed the gospel is on their way to heaven. That's what it says in Colossians chapter 1 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's Philippians chapter 1 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is the sovereignty of God in salvation. He saves us the very same way. When did he pick the second Adam? This, this to me, is the beauty of it. Do you, do you want to see the drama of human existence in the universe? The conclusion was chosen before the beginning. Do you understand that? The conclusion was written out before the episodes that led up to the conclusion. What was the conclusion? The glory of God. What, in what way could God manifest His glory the most? Vessels of honor for the riches of His glory and the praise of His grace. Vessels of dishonor to show His wrath and His power in them. That's the conclusion. Then God wrote chapter 1. And where is chapter 1? It's in chapter 1. It's creation. It's Genesis chapter 1. But the conclusion had already been written. Because we were chosen in Christ, and Christ was chosen for us, and every aspect that I referred to already, the promise made, the purpose given, before the foundation of the world. The second Adam had already been assigned to save you and me before the first Adam was created. How sovereign is that? Well, it isn't fair that everyone in the first Adam dies and goes to hell and only those God chose in the second Adam live and go to heaven. Here's my answer. This is God's answer because my answers aren't worth anything. Remember, I'm fat, retarded, and ugly. Is it not, is thine, is thine eye evil because I am good? Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? For God to save one of us, he is good. He didn't save a single angel. But you know, they never bark about that. It's because they're selfish. What I said earlier about the false reasoning of a man about the things of God is because he's selfishly motivated. They don't care about the character or integrity of God. They just care about their future. And see, God is going to have the glory of the future. And he's going to have all of it. The second Adam, the conclusion of the gospel, was written before the episode's getting to it. That is how sovereign God is. Now, I'm out of time. And it's just... 
you are going to have to go spend some time yourself. I'll spend it. We found this man that put together a lot of points for us about the sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of God and salvation. It just runs on for pages and pages. And you can just pass your little cursor over the references and they'll just pop up and you can read there. Regeneration is described in the Bible like the wind blowing where it listeth. Do you know what it says about that? So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And the wind blows wherever it wants to and God sends His Spirit wherever He wants to. God's will is the only active and true and free will in salvation and He exercised His will for us. How do you know that God exercised His will for you? How do you know that the sovereignty of God chose you before the foundation of the world? Well, that's called election. And the Bible tells us it is the faith of God's elect. I read to you in Titus 1.1. And so if you believe the gospel, it is the faith of God's elect, and no one but God's elect will believe that ridiculous story. Because it's ridiculous to the flesh. It's ridiculous to the natural man. So do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? That is the faith of God's elect. If you'll add to that faith, believing something is faith, if you'll add to that faith, the other seven things that are listed in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11, you can make your calling and election sure. If that faith will result in you making a change in your life where you sacrifice something for God, that is the work of faith. See, the Thessalonians destroyed their idols. That was a pretty big work of faith. Then there's a labor of love. If you will do something for someone else in the name of Christ only, even if you don't like them, that's a labor of love. If you can patiently and cheerfully endure negative events in your life because you know God has something in store for you in heaven above, that is patience of hope. And a person that has the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. That's how you know you're one of God's elect. You believe the gospel. You believe what the Bible says about this sovereign God. You believe what the Bible says about the first Adam and about the second Adam. You believe that in the fullness of time, a virgin brought forth a son named Jesus of Nazareth, and that holy thing that was born of her, that's the Bible terminology, is the Son of God. And you add to that the good works the gospel describes, you are one of God's elect. And I want to tell you, His sovereign authority in the universe is entirely committed for you. Right. In every part of your life, so that you can say, Second time this sermon, Romans eight twenty eight, And we know, for we know, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. And it goes on to describe His foreknowledge of them, His predestination of them, His justification, His calling, and His glorification of them, and if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. He that spared on his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Yes. Who Amen. shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? This is the sovereignty of God in salvation. Much, much, much more, more could be said about it. Do you see the sovereignty of God in your life? 
Did God send some beautiful feet to you that said, Thy God reigneth? Amen. Did God send His Holy Spirit to you to regenerate, renew, and wash your spirit so that you love the things of the gospel that everybody else finds to be offensive, foolish, and ridiculous? Why are you here today? Why do you love the message of this book? Why do you love the God these pages describe? Why do you love the Savior and the drama of the gospel that the world thinks is foolish? Because God chose you to that from the beginning of the world. And he brought it to pass in time. Praise his holy and glorious name. I need a couple of ushers.